Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you, as always, this Wednesday evening. Uh, we are set to embark upon another discussion, a discussion about Bird Box. And so I do have Father Mike Ritter in studio with me. So, Father Mike, great to have you with me another evening. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be here. So, Father Mike, as I was saying just a few minutes ago before we came on air, I cannot remember a movie <laughs> that I left thinking to myself, Boy, howdy, there are so many different directions to yeah. take this movie. It is so rich, unlike any other movie you oh, know, yeah. that, that, that we've done. Has there been uh, such robust, dare I say, conversation about this. this movie? It really has, on one hand, uh, upset people mm-hmm. for one reason or another. And on the flip side, it's drawn a lot of people in to ask new questions about themselves. I tell you, I, uh, I was introduced to this movie by a friend a couple of weeks ago. I was in LA and I kind of, he thought that this would be cool because we had watched uh, A Quiet Place. Yeah. yeah it was all about, you know, similarities. Yeah, yeah, you know, about hearing and not hearing. And now he says, hey, there's another movie that I heard about that's kind of like similar, but about not seeing. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing, monsters and kind of cat- catastrophic uh, consequences. And so we watched it uh, together. And, and one of the interesting things was as soon as the movie was over, we probably sat there and talked about it for an hour. And part of like, there was something about it that was so unsatisfying, the, the, the deal about the monsters and the why we felt like there were so many unanswered questions on mm. the one hand. On the other hand, I feel like the, the movie was about something totally different. Mm. And it's just, it, any, any kind of uh, story that stimulates, I think, this level of conversation really has something going for it. Yeah. And it was interesting, as I mentioned to you, we were in Hollywood, I actually did the Walk of Fame, but there are huge billboards all over the place with Bird Box. You know, this is a Netflix original, and it's it's just uh, it's been big, positively and negatively. Uh, if we're talking about engaging the culture, I think the culture is engaged around this movie. Well, and I think one of the reasons is you know you talk about one of the similarities you have between A Quiet Place and Bird Box is that you have these monsters, but there is a difference there. You know, H.P. Lovecraft, if she's uh, he's known for anything in his uh, horror films and monsters, is that they don't always have faces, right? Mm-hmm. They, they don't always have an identity. They do wield an unimaginable power, yes, but you're left with, at least when you see them on the screen, you're left with asking questions about what are these monsters all about because they don't have the face. Now, I think, who was it? Gary was the character uh, who came from the Mental Institute. He yeah. was drawing you know, yes. the images he saw, but even then, that's what he saw. What this movie opens up really is what each and every one of us see or how we interpret these monsters. Well, this is such a rich point, and you've brought this up in, in some way before that, you know, the real monsters in our lives, they mm. don't look like they look in the movies. And there's always something that's a little bit unsatisfying when you're, you're watching Alien or whatever the movie is. When you finally see the creature, you're like, oh, yeah, all right, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, no. <laughs> that's but, a great point. But the, the the real monsters in our life and the stuff that really has power uh, to to cause us anguish, to threaten us, these are the things that are kind of faceless and they are kind of unique to the person, one's own history. And so I do think that a movie like this taps into a, a certain amount of truth 
about uh, the real monsters in our lives. And and when whenever you put a face on a monster in a movie, to a certain degree, it becomes less real. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Well, you're no longer using your imagination. And again, this is what H.P. Lovecraft is all about as it relates to the creator of this kind of monster. Uh, and what's interesting as you talk about that, Father Mike, is how does the movie open up? But you have this news journalist saying that this is something that is not pathological or viral, mm. right? So right away, it's something different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not an alien like maybe we think of even from the movie A Quiet Place. This is something different, and what uh, was different is what made this movie so unique. And one of the initial, in my conversation the first time I watched this, one of the initial frustrations was the monster thing was never explained. Yeah, but that's the whole idea, It's right? the point, that, yeah. That's the whole idea. It's the point. Yeah. And, and again, I think this is another great example uh, of, a, of a horror movie that's not a horror movie at all, or a monster movie that's really not about monsters at all. It's the stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, in which on which the the drama unfolds it it kind of opens and Sandra Bullock is a uh, our main character whose name is Mallory Mallory yeah. <laughs> that's right thank you Joe and Mallory it kind of opens up and she's a very pessimistic person for whatever reason and she's kind of an, a struggling artist we get kind of the hint of her background that she was in a relationship that didn't go well and mm-hmm. Uh, she's pregnant, and she refers to speak of her pregnancy as pregnancy, but rather it's a condition. Yeah, you know, so you kind of get the sense that already she's rejecting the idea of relationships, even relationship with her own future child, and she's working on a huge painting. And um, you know, the observation is made by a friend: "Wow, everybody in that painting looks so lonely." And she says, "Well, loneliness is really kind of a secondary consequence. That this is really a painting about people's inability to connect." Yeah, she says, "Loneliness is incidental." And, and yeah. I think that this is so thematic in the movie. And, and one could speculate as to what, what the, the cause of that inability to connect with. Uh, we, we get the sense, I think, a little bit with Mallory that it has some, it's somehow protective. Mm-hmm. You know, she's been hurt in the past, or maybe she fears she'll be hurt again in the future. But uh, she carries the, and the fruit of that inability to connect for her is a real coarseness that touches every aspect of her person. Yeah, she's cold. In fact, I was amused when the movie opens. She's, you know, you're kind of going back and forward in time and in, in the timeline in the movie. And she's talking to these, it's just the camera's in her face. She's like, do not look or you'll die. Yeah. Do you understand? And this <laughs> yeah. and that. And yeah. The camera pans out and she's talking to these tiny children. Yeah. Yeah. And my first impression was, this is harsh. Yeah. Somewhere in here, Father Mike, and we're not going to do this this evening, but somewhere in here down the line, we ought to take up just the question, and it's more about cinematography, but why more movies are going to this looking back, moving forward, looking uh, back, moving uh. forward, because there's a dynamic there that I think allows you to engage the stage in a way that is more compelling. Yeah. But that, I think, is for another, for, another, yeah. for another evening. And so not to give it all away, but to just to trace out a couple of themes that we might explore. And the first is her journey from being this harsh... A woman who can't connect, not even to her own kids. She's taking care of two children, one of which is hers, and she just, they don't have names. She just calls them boy, girl. And Mm -hmm. so I think one of the major dramas is her journey away from this cold, disconnected person to somebody who really can uh, show affection and who really can connect. You know, another one of these major themes is what's happening is we, and we're told it's not viral, it's not an alien, it's not a pathogen, but there are these creatures that are that are never really explained, and whenever one sees the creature, they kind of they go into a frenzy and they commit suicide or they die. And so, a major 
I guess theme of the movie is that you have to blindfold yourself and you or, or put yourself in a room with boarded windows because to see one of these creatures is certain death. And uh, so, you know, h- how does one survive in that environment? They eventually take a risk and make a journey down the river and they and they get to a sanctuary uh, where, where really kind of the only survivors are located. And what we discover at the very end is that it's a, a school or a home for the blind. Yeah. Yeah. And that the only people that are really safe, the only people who can survive uh, or the best equipped in this environment are the people who can't see. Mm-hmm. And you would think that they are uh, the least equipped in this world. Mm-hmm. So there is, there is a, there are a couple of themes there. Um, oh, yeah. In terms oh, of, yeah. of seeing versus blindness, the risk that, that Mallory and her kids had to take to get there. But also a question about, you know, who... Who in this world uh, really is uh, the most equipped? You yeah. know that those yeah. who were the least uh, in the end had the most. Well said, Father Mike. I want to go to that first motif that you spoke to, specifically Mallory and her sister Jessica. You know those words, loneliness, is just incidental, and it's really about people's inability to connect. <laughs> really plays itself out as an overture to this whole movie, especially as it relates to the character of Mallory, because all throughout the movie. She's struggling to connect, huh? It wasn't really until uh, she was in the boat all those hours later with boy and girl, and they come up to the rapids, does, does I think she discover <laughs> for the first time what it means to connect on a much deeper level. She, she tells boy and girl she needs a lookout. And at two different points, boy and girl say, you know, we'll do it. But as they're talking to her, she's kind of looking back. And she's being made to see that, no, I can't sacrifice one of these children. So what does she tell boy and girl? But no, we are not going to have a lookout. We're going to navigate through this together. And they do. And of course, they make land. And I think when they make land, before they get to the sanctuary city, there's a a second big moment for Mallory and her ability to connect. When after she falls and she's knocked out for a few minutes and boy and girl go their separate ways, uh, does she lose them? And ultimately, as she's crying out to boy, girl, she finds boy. And as she's then crying out for girl, boy says to Mallory, she doesn't like you. She doesn't trust you. And then she cries out as, as just not a guardian per se, because that's what she was to girl. She was mother to boy she cries out as someone who, who cared. And, and for the first time, you see this in the movie. And so girl comes running to her. Girl comes running to her. And what I thought to be most interesting about this whole dynamic and what this uh, overture points to is identity. Identity, not only in who she was as mother and guardian, but who she was called to be in how to love as mother and guardian, right? Only until she uh, cried out, only until she connected on a much deeper level and showed that she cared, did she then ultimately connect with uh, boy and girl. And so they, they get to this sanctuary city, this school for the blind. I was wondering throughout this whole movie, right, where are the blind people? Because in a quiet place, right, it was the deaf that, that yeah. were surviving. And I thought, what's going on? So, well, there it was. See, and you were ahead of me. I didn't get that till the yeah. end. <laughs> yeah. There is, for me, uh, one of these themes that develops along that is just this, this toxic pragmatism. 
Mm. And that is, you know, for for Mallory, it's don't give, don't feed hope because there is no hope. Yeah, you know why? Why would you pollute minds and 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 torment the kids with things they're never going to see? And yeah, we see that too with John Malkovich's character. You know, it's just this toxic, pragmatic stance that just perfect, protect yourself, defend yourself, but all is lost. Mm-hmm. And and I, I do think that we see something of that. You know, that uh, the world is kind of a terrible place, and why would you? You know, why would you? bring a child into the a world like this you know mm-hmm. that there is this kind of uh uh paralyzing protectiveness yeah and and one of the the only i guess path to liberation here uh for Mallory and her kids is a, a certain willingness to risk hope yeah you know that yeah. that they uh they did something that i would totally advise against and that is that they listened to some anonymous stranger on a cb radio saying bring your kids down the river and we'll save you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah, I would say? Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I don't think... Given the, what they had already experienced, yeah, right? Yeah. And I don't suggest that the movie is saying that we should be irresponsible. Um, but but I think it does suggest that responsibility involves sometimes some degree of, of uh, risk and, and yeah. walking without seeing. It's interesting. The whole title of the movie, Bird Box, what's going on there? Well, you go back to early on in the movie... There she is in a store. She's looking into this bird cage, and she's just watching these birds saying things like, "Boy, aren't you lucky? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to deal with this." And so right away, you're you're thinking, "Okay, uh, birds free." And then it clicked for me, at least a connection I was making. Bird box. For me, when I hear box, I think boxed in. Yeah. Right. You're, you're held captive. When I hear bird, I think of free, fly away. Right. So bird box. These two words put together. There's almost a tension. And that's the kind of tension that's playing out on the stage, if you will. Well, they take these birds, because birds sense danger, so there was a practical application there, right? They take these birds, put them in an actual box, hence bird box, too, there, right? And the bird box is with them in the river. And once they get to the sanctuary city, they let the birds go, but not before Mallory calls girl Olympia Mm -hmm. and boy her son Tom. She now gives them names. She now gives them an identity after she's discovered her own identity. And that was a huge point for me, that we can't help others in who they are in their identity um, until we help ourselves. Yeah, right. Uh, That was such a powerful scene for me, too. And and it really stems back to to the very beginning for me, this painting about people's inability to connect and that that initial thing we discover about Mallory is she's pregnant, but she won't call it a pregnancy. Yeah. You know, it's a condition. It's not her child in a sense. And these children who aren't hers don't have names either. And all of that to me uh, as kind of a commentary on the loneliness of our culture. I mean, if you, what are people wrestling with? And one way or another, we're very lonely. Um, however, we're also living in a time when we have an ability to connect in a way that was never fathomed before. Yeah, social media for oh, one. Yeah. You know, and I, I was struck, I was thinking about this, that, you know, that that we have all of these kind of anonymous virtual relationships, and you know, that the meaning of the word anonymous is literally without a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so here you have this lady who has, you know, these children without names, these anonymous, if you want, relationships. There's a there's connection there, but but not really. Um, and that, that was very, very, very striking, and it just seems from the very beginning to the very end, this inability to to connect with others that kind of stem from this anonymous relationship. Yeah. If we 
live our lives in this mode of just surviving, right? Everyone in this movie is just surviving. We're never going to discover who we are. You know, when it was just about survival, it was boy, it was girl. But when it's about relationship and discovering what the essence of relationship is all about, it's Olympia and Tom. And so this movie, it, it kind of turns the economy of survival, if you want, on its head. Yeah. The people that are the smartest, the strongest, the, they're not the ones who survive. That ultimately, uh, you know, this is not survival of the fittest. In a sense, it's survival of the least fit. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, the place for kind of the rejects, the blind, uh, the people that don't have what it takes ends up being the oasis and the place of safety. And I think that the, the movie really does in this place where we're in this world where the monsters really don't have faces and um, where they really can come at you from any angle, um, we have to reevaluate what constitutes safety and uh, really take a look at what what amounts to strength. Well, I know, Father Mike, you have spoken to it from the pulpit, and and I hear on Seeds of Truth that what we think on the surface is so good and and so great and, and so strong is actually not so good, not so great, and not so strong. (laughs) <laughs> but what we think on the surface is what is so not so good and not so great and not so strong is actually good, great, and strong, right? Because in the end, and as you so beautifully highlight, what is most expected is often the path that leads to destruction, but it is the least expected path, dare I say, <laughs> road less traveled, that leads to freedom, right, and, and safety. Father Mike, I want to now speak into that second motif you touched upon, the monsters. There's a lot of commentary going on in chat rooms and, and underneath YouTubes about how these monsters are a manifestation of our worst fears, our worst depression, our worst shame. And, and maybe that's the case. But what I was struck by, honestly, is that if you were to take the movie for what it is and what it communicated, what I heard, right... And what I saw was that all of these manifestations were tied to relationships. And we know this because of the voices we heard or what the characters said after they were consumed by the monster. I'm thinking about the woman who went down from the house to help Mallory. As she was going down to help Mallory, what did she say? After she was consumed by the monster, this shadowy presence, she said, Mother, right, Mother? All the other voices we heard were tied to relationships. So maybe fear was there, maybe sadness was there, maybe depression was there, maybe shame. But I sensed on some level that what these monsters were doing to individuals were arousing some sense of maybe a broken relationship or maybe someone they loved that something just wasn't right and ultimately whatever the monster was saying, it was driving them to do something uh, that they of course shouldn't do, (laughs) commit suicide. I, I was more on the path of thinking, gosh, maybe this has more to do with actually looking at, <laughs> emphasizing looking, right? Looking at our relationships and making sure that we are reconciling our relationships. You know, what's interesting, what I didn't pick up in watching the movie, I've seen it in the online commentary, but I didn't get the sense that the overriding experience was fear. You know, more than anything, there was just this unbreakable fixation that led to very self-destructive behavior. Yeah. You know, yeah. suicidal. Yeah, you know, you're it's, right. It's mother, it's hearing, it's hearing mom's voice. It's okay, trust me, take off your blindfold. You can look yeah. at me. So I didn't get the sense that this was about fear. Uh, I did get the sense that it was about 
once the, the people looked, there was an absolute all-consuming fixation and their lives became immediately self-destructive. And um, so, you know, the movie doesn't tell us what the monsters are. I think in part, one ought to walk away from a movie like that and ask the question, what are my monsters? Yeah, yeah. But then secondly, That's you really know, the question. Yeah, and one might take a look and, and ask the question, you know, are there things in my life which totally grip me? You know, and, and probably we've all been in that place where our eyes dilate, we just fixate, and you say, I know it's wrong, I know it's not good for me, I know this is destructive, and nobody's going to stop me. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yep, yep. And, and to me, that leaps off the, off the screen, if you want. What's kind of striking, and another thing that's never really explained, the only people that can uh, look at the monster and not immediately perish are the mentally ill. Yeah. And you know what they all say? So I, I do think that uh, there's something that's being said there and, and um, that leaves me kind of pondering. This whole idea, idea for me of being just Im- immediately totally fixated on something in a way that's completely self-destructive. As I listen to you, Father Mike, I am reminded of something I was thinking about during the movie, that there's something of a paradox going on in this movie. You know, we've already highlighted the words, if you look at it, you will die. But is there something we are supposed to turn upside down so as to turn right side up, right? We think that if we look at the monsters in our life, we will die. But the reality is, that's the whole idea. You see, we have to confront those things in our life that are bringing us down. If it is a fear, if it is a shame, if it is a sadness, if it is a depression, okay, if it is a broken relationship, if it's something that consumes us, that dilates our pupils, we have to confront all of that. And as we do, we have to die a death because before anything new can sprout forth, what must first happen? It must die a death. You prune back for a reason. So if you look at it, you will die. Yeah, that's the whole idea. Right? That's the whole idea. Dying a death is necessary. It's the most ancient law of sacrifice. Death equals life. And so, something to consider, uh, the paradoxical nature of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Again, if you're sitting here listening to this without watching the movie, you're probably thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, (laughs) (laughs) what is this movie about? Well, it'd be enough to say that, yeah, you can probably sense that this movie did have many permutations to it. You know, many things just jumping off the screen as you say father mike you know this movie it is rated r it is somewhat violent there's some there's a bit of foul language and and some kind of sexual content and i guess it's good to be aware of that Uh, all of that being said though there's enough going on here that it really is uh it's a very intriguing movie and and to be honest with you i mean i'm I'm probably going to watch it again only because uh you know i i I watched it through a first time and, and i walked away scratching my head and Having had this conversation, I think uh, I can go back to it. But uh, to our point, as is always our point on the world stage, the, the culture is engaged, positively or negatively. Uh, people are talking about this movie. And um, I would imagine that when people go to make a, a film like this, that's what they want. And I do think it, it is a story about uh, you know, taking a leap and, and an awareness of the fact that in life, there's a certain amount of unseeing. And mm-hmm. we have to keep, we can't see what's around the corner, but we have to make judgments and keep going. Yeah. You know, and the attitude that says, you know, I have to have absolute certainty 
uh, will, that will always leave one trapped where one is. And I also think that there's something to be said for this movement from the isolation uh, that flows from an unwillingness to risk connection yeah. uh, to a willingness to take that risk. You see this mother talking to her unnamed children like soldiers at the beginning of the movie, giving orders, you will die if you do this, you'll die if you do that. And the premise is, you know, going down the river, eventually they're going to hit these rapids and she's going to have to sacrifice one of them. Yeah, yeah. One of them is going to have to look. And so this is the the tension that you're going down the river with. And I would say to you, the real salvation, if you want, in this story is not so much that they didn't get killed by the monsters, but they survived by deciding that we were going to go down the river together. Yeah. You know, and um, I think that's a great way to talk about life. I mean, ultimately... To move beyond survival to, to surviving to thriving, there's some somewhere on our way down the river in life. We have to decide uh, we're in this together. We all have people in our life that are just like decorations. This guy, that girl, this you yeah, know. And until yeah. you're a you, we've talked about the I thou thing yes. before. Oh yes, uh, we're surviving but not thriving. Well said, Father Mike. For me, in closing, as I listen to you, I can't help but uh, offer our listening audience a challenge and a challenge to you and I that maybe we leave this radio program thinking about the encounters we have, and in doing so, make sure that those whom we encounter aren't anonymous, aren't without a name. But we not only identify them and who they are by their name, but engage them. What's their story? What's their situation? Do they need to be encouraged in their identity? Do they need to be called by their name, brought into the light, into the one true name of Jesus Christ? All of this, I think, Father Mike, is so important. You know, Robert Frost once said that our eyes are windows into the soul. Let us encounter one another looking into the eyes, getting to know the person who we are encountering, because for all we know, that might be the only encounter that we have with the individual. So for our whole listening audience, Father Mike, I just want to encourage uh, everyone to, to think about their encounters more that we're not just about surviving, but yeah, thriving and thriving in light of one another. John Paul II once said, God saves us in communion. So let us help one another in this walk with God, that we might lovingly listen to each other into being, into becoming the person we are called to be. Amen? Amen. All right, Father Mike, uh, just a quick heads up. Next week, Mary Poppins, I think you and I will probably head to the movie theaters together, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot to talk about as it relates to that movie. Can you close us with a word of prayer? Lord, we give you thanks uh, for your presence among us and for this time to share these thoughts, and we ask you to bless us, you who are the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Father.